0: you guys can go ahead and have a seat. There's an old saying, and I want you to raise your hand if you guys have heard this. There's an old saying uh, that says this, big doors swing on small hinges. Big doors swing on small hinges. Raise your hand if you've heard of that phrase before. A couple of us, huh? Okay, but so this is the first time for many of you guys here. not that a great saying? Big Door swing on small hinge, meaning we don't realize uh, how or what our, our small behaviors, our small actions, our small worlds can lead to a greater impact. Or how everyday people can influence or create massive change. Think about it. Just a simple conversation with your coworker could take them from death to life could change their eternity in a split second by you sharing the gospel of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, convicting them, and crossing them over from death to life. Big doors, big change swings on small hinges. And this is what we've seen in Nehemiah. This is what we've seen about Nehemiah. Now we're going to see it about the people of God who Nehemiah is leading, that normal everyday people can come together to do something amazing can do something massive for the kingdom of God. A city that has been destroyed for decades, has been broken, has been laid to waste over 70 plus years. All of a sudden, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, hears the news. God puts a passion on his heart. He goes to Jerusalem. He raises up the people. And in 52 days, they rebuild the wall. Big doors swing on small hinges. What also is true is that every action, there's an equal reaction. And therefore, when we see the Lord does something big through His people, through you and me, you can be sure that Satan in the kingdom of darkness is disgusted and will react. And we'll try to hinder that success. We'll try to dampen your joy and my joy. We'll try to discourage us. And this is what we're going to see in Nehemiah today. Because what's true in Nehemiah's day is true in our day. That when the Lord uses people, the kingdom of God, uses the people of God, you and me, to build his kingdom, to advance his kingdom, we are going to have opposition. We are going to face resistance. We're going to have people that want to destroy us, literally. Opposition from enemy. So the question for us this morning is, how do we respond? How are we going to respond to that opposition, to that resistance that we feel from the enemy? And Nehemiah gives us some kingdom action steps. And again, we're going to go over those today. Again, we're going to take a 30,000 foot view over these two chapters. And the first summary, really of the summary of Nehemiah could sum up like this, God's people rise up and get to work. God's people rise up and get to work. Now, this is just really a a chapter of a bunch of names and a little couple things of what they've done. But this is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, when the people of God come together, united by a vision to accomplish something great for God. That's what this chapter is about. It's about the people of God accomplishing something great for God. And really, again, it's only just a list of people with a few little details on what they do. But it's powerful. We've been going through Nehemiah and we start in chapter one and prayers have been offered up by Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter two, a plan has been made. He's been making preparations. And now in chapter three, we see it's time to proceed. It's time to execute the plan of God that has been put in Nehemiah. He has gone to Jerusalem. He is there with the people, it's broken down, he shares his heart of what God has put in his heart, and the people respond. As we look back to Nehemiah 2.18, they respond with hope. They say, let us rise up and build. They're excited about the mission of God that has been given to Nehemiah and has been given to them. And they understand that this is not just Nehemiah's plan, but more specifically, it's God's plan through revealed through Nehemiah. This is what God wants to do at this moment in the story of redemption. And that's the bridge for us in this text. If you're looking at Nehemiah chapter 3 with just a bunch of, lists of these names, you're like, well, how is this? Uh, what's, what's the purpose for me in here? The purpose is that just as God gave the people of God in Nehemiah's day a plan to work out in the story of redemption. He is giving us, that's the bridge. We are the people of God now, and he has given you and me a mission at this time in the story of redemption to carry out. That's the correlation. And what is that mission that we're called to carry out? We know it's G squared, we call it around here. It's the the great commission and the great commandment. The Great Commission is we're to love God and love our neighbor with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then how we do that is by making disciples, the Great Commandment. And there's a thousand of different ways that we can do this and carry out in our lifetime. But let's just kind of go back and we're looking at Nehemiah 3. And let's look at the kingdom principles that moved, that advanced the kingdom of God forward back then. That is the same for us today. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever And so here are some kingdom principles that would advance and move his kingdom forward through you and through me this morning. So here's the first thing. The kingdom of God will advance. It will advance through organization. It will advance through a good plan. We see for the people of God to rise up and work, there has to be a plan for them to follow. And we then, again, we've looked at Nehemiah. He's prayed, he's planned, he's prepared, he's set forth the plan before the people. He's not just flying by the seat of his pants. He's just not letting go and letting God. He has a plan. He's using the wisdom of God. He's gone throughout the city. When he got there, he's gone by by himself to get recon to see how the city is. He's come. He's recalculated the plan, and now he's moving forward. He has a plan, and the building plan of Nehemiah three is rebuilding the walls through the gates, through the gates, around the gates. And they begin in the north at the sheep gate, because the north, the sheep gate, is the closest to the temple. The temple is the heart of Jerusalem. So they begin in the north. We have a picture here. We haven't, hopefully we have it, and we'll kind of go through this. Maybe we had technical difficulties. There we go. So we're starting up at the, the, the north there, the sheep gate. You see that in the kind of the northwest corner. And then what we do is we have these ten gates, and and in Nehemiah chapter three follows the building through these ten gates. It goes to the sheep gate. And it goes counterclockwise, the sheep gate, to the fish gate, uh, to the Yashana gate, or the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the mustard gate. And so this is the, the organization in which Nehemiah says to the people, this is how we're going to start. We're going to start at the sheep gate, and we're going to work our way counterclockwise. And not only are we going to do that, but here's even more detail of the plan. You guys are going to work by your house. You guys are going to build the wall that's closest to your house. All the people are assigned to work, again, on sections of the wall near their house. And it does three things. The first thing it does is it provides motivation to complete the work. Because if the wall was broken near your house, you were vulnerable to attacks. And so the one thing, it motivated you to make the protection of the wall by your house. Secondly, it it avoided wasting time for you to travel back and forth to commute in the city. You just got up, walked out your front door, and started working on the wall near your house. And then three, it assured the workers that would be near their homes to protect their families if they were attacked. And so still see this wisdom behind Nehemiah's plan. And the kingdom of God will advance through organization and through a good plan. That we had a saying in 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 baseball, and it's not unique to baseball or athletics, but it's through any kind of business venture, any kind of thing you want to accomplish, that proper planning what? Prevents poor performance. If you want to perform, you gotta plan and you gotta practice. So you can perform. And this is what we see in Nehemiah. And this is what we've done really the last 13 years here at the crossing. Since we planned, uh, there was just nine of us, seven of my family and two other ladies. And for the past 13 years, we have been executing the plan that basically the Lord gave us 13 years ago. That we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His people. And we do that through three relational values here. Through first and foremost our vertical relationship of loving the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And that vertical relationship then informs all of our horizontal relationships. And if that vertical relationship is strong and on point, uh, built on the solid foundation of the gospel and God's word, then our, our horizontal relationships will fall in line. That we will live with one another, other Christians in gospel communities, and live out the one another's. And then we will leave a legacy with those who do not know Christ. And that's what we've been doing the last 13 years in thousands of different ways. And the Lord has brought thousands of people through these doors and impacted your life, my life, and again, thousands more for the glory of God and for our joy. And so, if we want to advance the kingdom, it comes through organization comes through a good plan. Secondly, we see if we want the kingdom of God to advance, uh, we all work. We all work. We all do our part. Again, this is verses 1 through 32. And we see the plan to advance the kingdom of God forward through the rebuilding of the gates by God's people. There's a couple phrases that we repeat over and over and over again. If you look quickly through verse 3, you see it. And it's next to them and next to him and next to him and next to him and next to him, and then after him, and then after him, and then after him. I mean, 20 plus times as you go through uh, the, the chapter in Nehemiah chapter 3, that's what you see. Everyone is playing their part. Everyone is working on the wall. Everyone is using their gifts to advance the kingdom of God at that time. So who went to work? Everyone. Everyone, from the youngest to the oldest. Now, there was one group that didn't participate. Look at verse 5 real quick. And next to the Tekoites, they repaired it, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Now, there's ways you want to be remembered. This is not one of them, right? (laughs) This is not one of them. You don't want the Holy Spirit to write your biography, and in there he said, and you didn't stoop to serve the Lord. You don't want that written about you by the Holy Spirit. And so these guys, these nobles, while their own people, the Koalites, were out building the wall. They were doing the work. They just sat back and said, nope, I'm I'm beyond this. And now, before we get too harsh on them, these nobles, I think we can say we all have a little bit of this noblish in us as ourselves, don't we? There are things that we... We might say, you might not say it out loud, but we know that we might not stoop to serve the Lord. There are things that we want to hold on to that are ours, that we don't give to the Lord because we don't want to stoop and serve Him in those areas. So we all have a little bit of these Tekoaite nobles in us. Let's just think through these real quick. What about your time? There's many of us that look at our time and be like, my time is valuable. I'm too busy to be consistent on Sunday morning. I'm too busy to go to life group. Man, after work, I'm tired. I, I got all this kid stuff I have to do. Anyone in here battle that? You don't. You don't. You haven't given that over to serve the Lord. How about your uh, talents, man? I work all week. I just want to rest on the weekends. How about your treasure? There's some maybe in here. I'm assuming that 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 they receive ministry, that receive the blessing of being part of the crossing, but yet have not yet started to give. They have not given that over to the Lord. Their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Where might that be in your life? Be honest with yourself and then address it. Because again, you don't want this <laughs> over your name. I know I don't. So outside the Koites nobles, everyone worked. Let's just really quickly look through this. First, it started with the, the leaders, the, the high priests. Verse 1, the high priests and other priests, they worked They stepped out of their vocation, the job that they were called to, to serve, to work. Uh, The goldsmiths in verse 8. The perfume makers in verse 8. What is a perfume maker? Well, it's one who makes perfume. That's what I figured out, you know? And again, these guys are building the walls. The the walls were made of stone. They weren't made of, of something soft. These guys didn't have calluses on their hands, right? And yet they still sacrificed. They still got in the game. Well, City rulers and officials, we see this in verses 9 through 12 and 14 through 19. The Levites, verse 17. Merchants and entrepreneurs, verses 32, 31 through 32. So we see men, women, married, single, sons, daughters, those who lived in Jerusalem and then those that even lived outside of Jerusalem, they came to help build the wall. Everyone got into the game. And this is the case for us. Just like they had a calling on their life to advance the kingdom of God, you and I have a calling on our lives to advance the kingdom of God. And that is to roll up our sleeves and get to work. To be about the mission of God, where we live, work, and play. This is our calling. And when we, the people of God, get all about this mission, at this time in redemptive history, God is going to move. God's going to use us, small hinges, to do big things, to swing big doors. And if you're a Christian, you're on this team. You have this mission together with us, and we do it side by side. Again, do you know what our mission strategy here at the crossing is? Do you know how we're going to advance the kingdom of God? Do you know what our strategy is? It's you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. It's all of us. It's just not a few, it's the majority of us. It's all of us are called to this mission. Ephesians 4, Paul says like this, that that our role as pastors is to train you up to go and do the work of the ministry, but too often what we see in churches is that people expect the paid professionals to go out and do the ministry, and that's not biblical. The biblical model is for us to train the people to go do the ministry, and we are also part of the people of God, so we also partake in that. But again, it's all of us working. It's you. The mission is not done by the few, but it's done by the many. To the youngest person in here, to the oldest person in here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 said this, that Christ gave us, He gave you and me, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are His ambassadors. We are called to be ones to represent Him where we go in our circles of influence, where we live, work, and play to share the gospel, to share the good news. We are being entrusted to the gospel to to pass it on. And so the question to you and to me is, are you working? Are you in the game? Are you passing it on? Let me give you a couple diagnostic questions to see. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time that you sat down with someone that doesn't know Jesus and you You love them by sharing the gospel with them. Again, this is the command of Scripture. Go and make disciples. Now, there's probably some of you in here that just got, you know, you feel the weight of guilt right now on you. Again, the ideal for us to follow Scripture is that everyone 100% of the time shares the gospel at every single moment, at every single time, at every single opportunity. That's not the case. It's not the case for you. It's not the case for me. There's one time I was, I was on a, I was on a run and my neighbor, the guy doesn't know Jesus. I know him. And, and I said, man, if he is outside his house when I come back, Lord, I will share the gospel with him. It's about time. I've walked through life with him for about four years. I've never shared the gospel with him. When I come back around, if he's out there, I will share the gospel. I come back about, you know, 45 minutes later. Guess what? He's outside. Guess what? Did I share the gospel? Nope, I just kept on running. You know? The ideal is that we all share the gospel, but the, the ideal is where we fail, there's also grace. And so the question is, if you haven't done that lately, then the question is, okay, well, let's do this. Start to pray. Make a list. Start to pray for three individuals in your circle of influence. Start to pray for them. Start to serve them. Start to be intentional, start to do life with them. Get to know them. Ask them good questions. Be a good listener. And then pray for the opportunity for the Lord to open that door to share the gospel with them. So be an influencer. Be an influencer. So, second, the kingdom of God will advance when we all work, when we all do our part. Third, the kingdom of God will advance when we all work sacrificially. When we all work sacrificially. Look at Nehemiah 3:27. It says, and afterhand the Tokohites. In verse 5, we see the Tekoites go, and they, they, they serve. Their nobles didn't serve, but, but they did. It says in verse 27 that after him, the Tekoites repaired what? Another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Opal. Now look at verse 30. Have Hananiah and Hannah repair another section. The, little details like this. I hope when you, when you read the Scriptures that these little details Just, just step out. Just, just you know, pop out to you because these little details are like gold. Look at these these men. They finished their part of the wall. They did their job, and they could have easily said, "Hey, it's Sunday. The game's on. I'm going to go watch the game." But they didn't. What did they do? They They said, "Hey, we finished their wall. Who else needs help?" I'll sacrifice my time so I can go serve my brother or sister who needs help. Maybe, maybe they're struggling building the wall. Their wall's down. Let me go help them. It's the heart of Jesus in Philippians chapter two. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, so they took care of themselves, the wall by their house, but what also the interests of others. I can tell as the last thirteen years leading you guys, this is this is a lot of your guys' hearts. I've seen you guys sacrifice for the Lord, your time, your talent, your treasures. I've seen it firsthand. We, we, we could write stories about you like Nehemiah 3. I could, I could write, I could take every name in Nehemiah 3 and put a lot of your names in there, both past, present, and also those that are going to come. Well, maybe not those that are going to come because I, I don't know who's going to come yet. So, all right. But I've seen your heart. I've seen the way you sacrifice for one another, how you give your time, how you give your money, how you give your talents. The crossing was planted 13 years ago. It was built upon this foundation, and it will continue to advance as you and I give and work sacrificially. If this is our motive, that, that, that we have the same mind and heart of Christ, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So these three things, we see success. We see the people of God. Again, we see the progress, the success. They're starting to build a wall. It's about a two, two and a half mile wall. They get about halfway done. They see the success. They're on a a mountaintop experience. This is going so well. And then we come to chapter four. And what do we see in chapter 4? You can summarize Nehemiah chapter 4 as this. When God's people have success, God's people will face opposition. When God's people have success, God's people will face resistance and opposition. And really, in chapters 4 through 6, what we're going to see, it's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about the battle of the enemy that we have, those who are in Christ, we are introduced to these guys in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Amorite, the servant, and Geshem the Arab. And then we see him reintroduced here in 4, verse 1, and then also in chapter 7. But they've also added some people to their entourage to those against the, the people of God. Look at verse 7. But when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Amorites and the Astrodites, there's the new group, heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, that was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusions to it. The enemy started with just jeers. Just verbal assaults. And then they escalated as they saw the people of God, as God giving them success. They escalated the the, the threats to the plot of gathering an army to go against them to kill them and slaughter them. Again, they started with verbal threats. In verse 11, the enemy said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. And, and, and the people of, of God who were working kept hearing this over and over and over again. In the text it says ten times, those that were coming outside the walls to come work in, they just kept on saying, we're coming to get you, we're coming for you, we want your head. And their threats start to work. We see and read in, in chapter 4, 10 through 14, that discouragement and fear started to take over the hearts of the people of God because of the constant opposition, because of the constant resistance. Now before we go forward, this should point us forward. Nehemiah and the people of God should point us forward to another individual who walked into Jerusalem when the the rulers of the day saw that Jesus was coming and declaring the kingdom of God. The rulers of the day saw their power, their prestige, and their pocketbooks start to take a hit, so they started to cast verbal assaults on Jesus. And when they saw that Jesus kept on gaining a following through His words, through His teaching, through His serving, through His miracles, through His signs, and wonders, what did the leaders of the day do? They plotted to kill They plotted to take Him out. Nehemiah and the people of God, again, are a type of Christ, and they point us forward. Back to Nehemiah 4. Again, it started to work. Distouragement started to happen. Newton's law. Newton has three laws of motion. The third one is this: for every action, there is what? There's a reaction. This is not true, and this is not only true in the, in the physical world, but it's also true, I believe, in the spiritual world. Again, when God is using you in either success, and he's growing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is advancing. There's an enemy that has a reaction against that, that has a reaction against you. When you became a Christian, you defected from the kingdom of darkness. And now you're a uh, and you're in the kingdom of light. I don't know if you knew that. Many people don't like to... to, to admit that about themselves that ephesians 2 says that you were you were children of wrath you were on the kingdom of darkness before you came to jesus when you repent of your sins and you trusted him you were then defected from the kingdom of darkness and now you are transplanted into the kingdom of light where there is joy where there is success where there is peace where you have the king of kings and the lord of lords that will bless you as you live out his calling but then the opposite is true You are now an enemy of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And all he wants to do is what John 10 says. He wants to come, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy you. This is all about spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare is very real for you and for me because the enemy is real. Satan is real. There was a, there was a, they, Gallup did a poll to Americans and they said, Do you believe in the devil? Do you believe in Satan? And 70% of them said, We believe in him. But then they asked another follow up question. And they said, Well, who is he? They said, Well, 40% of them just believed in him to be a, a force or a symbol of evil, not a literal being, not a literal fallen angel. But we see from scripture that, 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 that symbols don't talk. Symbols don't ask for Job's life. Symbols don't ask for Peter's life. Remember Jesus told Peter, Peter, hey, Satan has asked for you today. He did the same with Job. Hey, you put that protection around Job, God. Why don't you remove that protection? Let me see if he truly follows you. Let me have my way with him. The devil was the accuser. He's up in heaven right now accusing you and me of our sin. What if that same question came from Satan to Jesus? Hey, give me Aaron. Take that hedge of protection around Aaron. What if he said that about you? How would you stand? Would you be ready to stand? Do you believe that Satan is a fallen angel, a real being that has his demons, that want to come still and kill you? I do. Just like Nehemiah. And because you're in the kingdom of light, because you follow Christ, goodness and mercy, as the psalm says, will follow you all of your days. You will have success, and that does not sit well with the enemy. And he will send people to oppose you. He will send people to come against you, verbally, sometimes even physically, and some of you guys are going through it right now. They, they, you have people that are opposing you, that are jealous of your success, so they're trying to tear you down. Maybe they can now feel threatened by you. Maybe they feel excluded by you for some reason. There's a number of reasons, but mark this: all the all the reasons why these people are coming against you is because they're being fueled by the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians 6 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against every ruler, against all the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the kingdom of darkness led by Satan. And again, some of you are in Nehemiah's shoes and the people of God's shoes right now. You're being opposed. You're being ridiculed. You're being resisted because you are following Jesus. You're being opposed by your friends. Maybe you're being opposed by your coworkers, by your boss. You're standing up for uh, the, the principles of faith and you're not going down the gender fluidity route. No, there's men and women. You're standing firm. You're going to start hearing the jeers. Oh, you're narrow minded. You're not loving. You're a hypocrite. Some of you are feeling this opposition from your own family members. Mom, your dad, your sons, your daughters. This is very real. It's a very real battle. So the question is how are you responding to this opposition? How are we to respond to this opposition? How are we to fight in this warfare? I think Nehemiah wisely gives us three practical ways in, in chapter 4. First and foremost, we see that you don't immediately respond in raw emotion without seeking the wisdom and the counsel of God. Now, this is actually not in the text. This is, this is a principle we glean from what's not in the text. When we look at Nehemiah, we don't see him respond emotionally. We don't just see him just, just fly off the handle and then respond emotionally when he's resisted when he's discouraged as a young man i had to learn this lesson over and over again and i'm still learning it I mean you guys know me i'm a very passionate guy and there's times where i can just fly off the handle i respond and react immediately but i'm getting better right rita hopefully she gave me the thumbs up so we're getting better so that's good i'm 50 half a century so it's only taking that long so Anyhow, but in fact, let me give you an example of what not to do. When we first planted the crossing, again, 13 years ago, we had success. I mean, we still have success. Here we are 13 years later. Church plants, about 80% of them closed in the first year or so, first two years. God has given us success. Well, there was one who was extremely hostile to us. In fact, this is the most hostile man I've ever encountered to the gospel. Extreme opposition, extreme resistance to my family and to this church. And in fact, at one point, he threatened to come by one Sunday morning as we were just starting to shoot up the church, to harm, to hurt, to hopefully wound, and and especially, starting with me, kill me. Because I was destroying his life, his family. Shortly after that threat, which is crazy, is this guy lived in our neighborhood. He drove by our house later in the afternoon. Rita was doing the dishes, you know. She could see our, 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 our dish, you know, the, where our sink is. There's a window and it goes right out to the street. And he kind of slowly was pulling by. Rita saw him and he did this. I wasn't in the house. It was late like in the five I was starting to come down my street, so I passed him. I didn't see what he did. I pulled in the driveway, walked in the door, and there was Rita. And you could tell she was She wasn't she was visibly upset to say the least, shaken, nervous. And you can imagine what that sparked in my heart. I went instantly into fight mode, protection mode. Didn't seek the Lord, got in my truck, and hunted that guy down. He lived in the cul-de-sac, and by God's grace, he saw me and sped off. Because if he would have got out of the car, I, would still, I wouldn't be with you today. I'd be doing prison ministry from the inside, if you know what I'm saying. But again, it was God's grace because I was walking in sin. I was walking in emotion. I wasn't thinking about my actions and what they could have produced. Again, it was God's grace. If you would have let me kind of live out those actions, again, I wouldn't have been able to be a husband to my wife these past 13 years. I wouldn't have been able to be a father to my kids or my grandkids. Grandkids. So don't respond in pure emotion. Don't fly off the handle. It never produces anything good. So if someone's coming against you with verbal threats, don't let your response be immediately verbal. Don't attack back. Use the wisdom of God. A soft answer turns away wrath. Pray. If there's a attack that comes by you physically, then you act accordingly. Then you act accordingly. But secondly, we see this should be our first action, what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah responded by praying, by praying in faith. Now, does that surprise us as we read this? It shouldn't surprise us because we see in chapter 1, chapter 2, Nehemiah is praying. He's always praying. That seems to be his first course. He prays to the Lord in faith. Look at verse 4. He says, hear, O God, for we are despised. And then after verse 8, the plot, he hears about the plot of them that come against them. In verse 9, it says, and we pray to our God. That was number one. Nehemiah felt the opposition. He feels the resistance. And what does he do? He prays by faith. He seeks the Lord. He first understands that before he can lead and minister to others, he must preach to himself first. So he prayers the prayer of faith. See, what he has to do is he has to get his eyes off the enemy and his eyes on the Lord. The one who is great. The one who is awesome in my studies one pointed this out and I never even thought about this until this guy pointed it out so you're always learning as you're studying he's like when, when opposition comes why do people talk to the devil why, why do people sometimes their instant reaction is to go to talk to the devil like devil we bind you you know devil you have no authority here the, where in scripture does it say talk to the devil it says resist him who do we talk to? We talk to Christ. We talk to the Lord. We don't talk to the devil. And if you can't buy the devil, my question would be then, if you want to bind him, can you do it for good, right? Can I get an amen? Why can't you do it for good? No, we talk to Christ. We see this is what Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is not asking for him to be the executor of God's justice and judgment, but he's trusting in God to be the the Executor. Because that's ultimately who these enemies, Sam Ballot and the rest are coming against. They're coming against God and His plan through Nehemiah and the people of God. And it's the same with you. When you feel opposition because you are walking by faith, you are living out the gospel and the principles of Scripture and people are coming against you, they're ultimately opposing God. So you know what? You let Him have His vengeance, not you not me. This is what we learn from Nehemiah. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Did you know vengeance is mine? The Lord's vengeance is talked about over 90 plus times in scripture. The Lord takes very seriously those who oppose Him and want to try and destroy what He is creating, His kingdom. And I learned long ago that the Lord's vengeance is much better than my vengeance. For one reason, why He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. But more in particular, why it's better is because it's holy. Because it's righteous. My vengeance, typically... It might start out as holy, but then it quickly goes into sinful, fleshly vengeance. And I typically make the situation worse, not better. So you let the Lord fight your battle like Nehemiah. You pray by faith. You get your eyes off your enemy and your situation, your circumstances, and you get your eyes on the Lord. So when opposition comes, pray with faith and allow the Lord to be the Lord. And finally, third. Not only does Nehemiah walk by faith through prayer, but he and the people of God also get back to work. They also will fight. It's a both and in the Christian faith. It's not either or. It's both and. We walk by faith, and we also work. We see in Nehemiah again, chapter five, after they come against, they, 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 he prays in verse five and verse six says, "So we built the wall. We went to work. We prayed by faith." And then we got to work. In verse 14, we see the same thing. Nehemiah verse 14, look at that. And I look and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome. That's, That's praying, that's walking by faith. And then he says, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And that's get back to work and fight if you have to. It's both and. Walk by faith and fight. And then we see the plan in Roy really Nehemiah 15 through 23. kind of says the same thing over and over again. Here's the plan. This is how you execute. This is how you walk out your faith. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each one to his work. And from that day on, half my servants worked on construction. The other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. This is amazing. Nehemiah tells the people, when oppositions come, don't be afraid. Don't let fear rule your heart. Walk by faith. Pray to the great and awesome God. Let Him fight your battles for you. Look at verse 20. And our God will fight for us. That's what he's saying. He's pointing people to God. He will fight for you. But now here's your sword in case you got to fight. It's both and. And You can still see this going on in Israel today. What you see in Nehemiah chapter four again, thousands of years ago, is still happening today. Whenever you, have, you see in Jerusalem or any place in Israel where you have these big building plans, you have soldiers on the wall protecting those who are ma- who are building, because there's a hundred million people around enemies of Israel that want to destroy them. So you see the same thing going on today. You have those building, they have those protecting. I had a friend who told me this story about when he was in Israel, he had a, a friend that was a Jewish, and he was finishing up his military. It was, he was going through a military, and he comes to the end of it, and he has a ceremony. So his friend's going through, this, again, this military ceremony. And he said, at the completion of the ceremony, this is what they gave every soldier. In one hand, they gave him the Old Testament, faith. In the other hand, they gave him a gun, fight faith and fight. They're still doing that today. Now for us, it's a little bit different because we're following Christ. We're under the new covenant, not the old. We are not protecting a land. We're not protecting a people, but we are very much in a real fight. We are all in a very real spiritual battle. That's and all Christians carry, symbolically, a sword and a trowel. Charles Spurgeon, you guys might know this, this phrase, the sword and trowel. This is what he kind of created a ministry around, this Nehemiah chapter 4, about a sword and a trowel, that each, each, each Christian has a sword and a trowel. It was a magazine that he and his church began to write, and, it, and the sword it combated the enemies of the faith. And the trial was how to live as a Christian. So the sword it was the sword of the spirit, it was the word of God that we see in Ephesians chapter six, that that every Christian has a sword, and, and we are to use that sword to fight off the lust of the flesh, the lust of the world, the pride of life, uh, to, to to fight those who who bring air and heresy to the church we're called to stand up and speak the truth we're to use the sword of the spirit in ephesians chapter 6 this sword is not the the romthia sword like william wallace swung you know that big four or five foot you know foot sword where he had to take two hands to swing no it's the it's called the machaira sword it's a it's a dagger like sword it's like 18 to 36 inches so you can be precise not only can you parry blows but you can also give blows that's what we use, the sword of Spirit. It's the Word of God. We use the Word of God to combat, again, first and foremost, our own flesh, the principalities and the powers of the world. But then also we have a trowel on the other hand. And what do we do with that? We, we build the kingdom of God. We build the kingdom of God. We use the gifts and the talents that God has given us to build His kingdom. Again, everyone in here holds a sword and a trowel. We're called to build and advance the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel and serving and loving one another and those that do not know Christ. And then we're also called to protect using the sword. Again, we're in a spiritual battle and you cannot be a Christian and be passive. You'll get eaten alive. You and I are called to build and we're called to fight by faith. This is why Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Live as a good soldier. One of the great illustrations and examples of the Christian life is that of a good soldier. You and I are called to build and to fight. And so the question is, are you building and are you fighting? Now, of course, none of us are doing it perfectly. But as we come together, this is the desire of the crossing. That we encourage one another to build and to fight. And again, the reason why we can build, the reason why we can fight is because Jesus came and did that for us first and foremost. 2,000 years ago, he stepped out of the kingdom of God to come walk alongside you and me. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again. He sent us his spirit. He's given us his word so that we can be informed on how to build the kingdom of God and how to fight for the kingdom of God. And so let's carry on the legacy of King Jesus. Let's carry on the legacy of Paul, of Lydia, Mary, Joseph, of Nehemiah, as they point us to Jesus. And then let us be used by Jesus as small hinges so He can do big things for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these two chapters. Again, at a 30,000-foot view, we see these principles that we're so true in Nehemiah's day, and they're so true in our day. It's because your word doesn't return void. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Kingdom principles and ethics back in Nehemiah's day are the same for us. If we want to be successful, if we want to advance the kingdom of God, there needs to be a plan, there needs to be organization. We all need to do it, and we need to give up our lives sacrificially to accomplish that mission. And we know when we have success, we're going to have opposition, and, and, and how we respond to that opposition is not by pure emotion and flying off the handle, but it's first seeking You by prayer and walking in faith. It's then coming again. It's coming together and as one. Lord, thank You. We recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. And we pray to You. And we walk by faith. You've given us the sword, You've given us the trial. It's both hands. So we may, may we use that together again to defend your kingdom and to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.